0: Everybody, for those of you who don't know, there can't be many of you in the room. But my name is Ruth. I'm married to the lovely Ravi. Uh, We have two children, and we've been calling Southwest London Vineyard our home church now for the past nine years. Earlier this summer, Kate asked me to speak on the subject of Jesus in my own life. And as some of you might know, I recently gave up my career in teaching. And I've been trying some new things, uh, trying to say yes to some things and exercising some muscles I've not used before. So whilst I felt both excited and a little bit scared, quite frankly, I said yes to Kate. And so here we are. I was recently reminded of the power that our testimonies hold, that we can stand on the power of what Christ has done and continues to do for us. And in the stories of his power in our lives and the stories that we have to tell, And I'm going to share a part of my story with you this morning. Uh, Some of you will see some elastic on your chair or near your chair. It's just a little fiddle toy for you in case you get bored during this talk. No, actually, it's part of my um, story. It is, to me, a symbol of God's commitment, which joins us in relationship to him. And even though we might pull away, he stays faithful and connected to us. I'm going to speak this morning about chesed. Uh, This morning, um, it's a Hebrew word, a word heavy with meaning, which appears uh, over 250 times in the Old Testament. It's really key to my journey and really key to the story that I'm going to read from, a very famous parable that you all know, I'm sure. Chesed appears all the way through the Old Testament. It's about the faithful love of God and his covenant with his people. In Exodus 34, uh, God speaks to Moses expressing his character saying, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in chesed, in love and faithfulness. And then again, there's a really um, wonderful example in Psalm 107 about his steadfast love. It's this incredible cycle of Israel walking away and being drawn back again and again and again. Hasid shows us that the essence of God is loving kindness. God is loyal love. He is mercy. He is grace. He is compassion. And he demonstrates his enduring commitment to his people. As I was doing just a small amount of research for my talk, I I read it as um, called a one-way love. It's not dependent on the receiver for anything, but it's given entirely out of goodness. So to give you an advanced organiser, the story that I'm going to use today is the parable of the lost son, a story we know so well and really important to me in my walk with Jesus. And so I'm going to read that first and then I'm going to speak about a time in my life, a small chunk, um, and then um, the redemptive power of my relationship with Jesus. And then we're going to share some communion together and we're going to have some ministry time. So Luke 15. Who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs? He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against you, uh, and I've sinned against heaven and against you. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. This story is a stunning example of the enduring commitment that the father shows to the younger son. And it's just a perfect example of chesed, the enduring commitment, love. And so I want to talk to you about how, in the past, I've been like the younger son, in a far-off land, and in desperate need, actually, both literally and spiritually. And just while I was preparing this talk, um, I thought that I should give you a trigger warning that it does contain reference to surgical procedures and illness. I felt it was fair to let you know that. And also, on a related note... I'm also well aware of something that we talk about a lot here, which is the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And that whilst I've experienced past healing and wholeness from something in particular, I'm also aware that it's not clear cut and it's not as binary as all that. And in fact, there are things which all of us may be wishing for, for healing for ourselves and for others and for the world around us. So I just wanted to say that I've got 20 minutes to speak to you, but I don't want to be glib about anything. I don't want to put a gloss on anything that I know is really tough. So, I'm the granddaughter of missionaries and a daughter of parents who raised me faithfully in a Christian home, took me to church and were committed to uh, making sure that I was involved in Christian things. I was raised in a high church, Anglican church, which means it was really traditional. We had an order of service, um, and we used to go through the communion using liturgies, which just means spoken prayers. The order of the service was always the same. There was a lot of hymn singing, and I served in that church. In my tween years, I donned a beautiful white robe, and I would process down the church aisle following the priest and the cross, Um, that was carried down the church, and I would carry a candle along with one of my uh, Christian buddies who also um, carried a candle. And then we'd sit in the choir stalls, and we'd assist with the communion and things like that. And that's the way that I experienced church growing up. When I was 13, I decided I want to be baptised and then confirmed into the Church of England so I could start taking communion, and so that I could say in front of my friends and my family that I wanted to make a commitment to Jesus, that I wanted him to come into my life and stay with me. Sometimes when I was in those choir stalls, reciting some of the um, prayers and worshipping with some of those hymns, I found that sometimes the words would um, stick in my throat, catch in my throat, and I'd feel like an upswell of emotion. And up until this point, I'd learned about God, but I wasn't really sure I knew God. And that feeling that I had in those choir stalls um, was, I now know, the presence of his Holy Spirit with me in those moments. In my mid-teens, my parents moved away from the place where we'd grown up, my father got a job in Kent, and we moved, and I realised I had a chance to reinvent myself, to make some new decisions for myself um, about the way that I lived my life. One of those decisions I made was not going to church on Sundays. I was attending a Christian school, and I was required to go to chapel every morning before lessons, so I felt as was perfectly entitled to give myself the weekends off. Social things gradually became more important to me, and those years whizzed by. I then finished school, went on a gap year, um, during which uh, my father got another new job, uh, which took my parents to the Far East. And so as I started university, they moved to Hong Kong, which you might know is on the uh, southeast coast of China. So I took myself off to university, and again, I didn't head straight for the Christian Union, and I wasn't really pursuing my faith at that stage. I still found it really odd, though, that even in the three years that I was at university, I never met a single other person who had an upbringing like me, who was raised in a Christian home. And I did feel really far from God at that point, actually. My experience of university wasn't great. It was actually really tough. And I felt like I didn't have super many support structures. I just about made it through, and I was excited to go and live in Hong Kong, which I now considered home. And so it was that I began my working life over there, far from anything familiar. I started working uh, and really, really getting into the expat scene over there. Lots of partying with dot-com millionaires, things like that. It was exciting. It was exhilarating. I don't know if you've ever been to Hong Kong, but it's a pretty crazy city. And it was on a night out with friends. Uh, One of my friends was a non-native English speaker, who said to me in a really blunt way, What is wrong with you? You have a huge lump in your neck. And he was absolutely right. It had been there for a while, and I didn't have any symptoms. I was at that time uh, a smoker, and I had been a smoker for quite some years. I was pretty sure it might have something to do with that, so I didn't really want to face up to it, and I buried my head in the sand. However, after his blunt question, I decided that it might be prudent to go back to the doctor to have another look at it, And after a series of specialists had poked and prodded, I was told that indeed I did have a huge tumour in my left neck. The person who diagnosed me asked me if I'd ever had any investigations done on it, and I said actually yes, I had. Some years ago at university, I'd been referred to the hospital for a needle biopsy, which is... um, the normal way, I believe, that um, doctors look at unidentified masses. You normally take a small sample of cells, um, and so they'd gone in somewhere at the top and not been able to find any, and so they'd gone in at the bottom, not been able to find any either. I I, um, left university shortly after that appointment, um, and so no more investigations had been done. So there, in the uh, Hong Kong specialist's office, he looked at me and balked a bit. And he said, well, I'm I'm pretty sure what you have there is is a really rare vascular tumour. It's growing out of one of the arteries to your brain. He said he couldn't understand how I initially had had it essentially punctured twice and managed to walk out of the hospital on that day. That day at university, just a couple of years ago, should have been the last day of all my days. But it wasn't. Things moved really quickly after that saw another surgeon who proposed to operate on me and I asked him whether he'd done this kind of surgery before and he said that indeed he had a girl about my age who had tumors on both sides of her neck he'd had to sacrifice her vocal cords rendering her mute and she'd been on life support for six months post-surgery. Reeling from this information I thanked him for his professional opinion and left his office. My mum and I went down to the nearest beach where we sat down and I cried for a good few hours. I decided, you see, by that point that I wanted to be a teacher. I'd worked in schools, I'd done some language teaching, and I decided that I wanted to be a teacher, which I knew I couldn't be if I lost the ability to speak. And I was afraid. I was really afraid. Terrified, actually. A bit like the young son in Luke, I now saw my need. I was in desperate need and I was so frightened. And my mum said to me, I think we should pray. So we prayed and we prayed for God to come into the situation. We prayed for his spirit to be with us and we prayed for a way through whatever was going to happen. And various miraculous things did happen as time went by. Family and friends in medical field leapt into action on my behalf. University medical libraries were trawled to find a specialist vascular surgeon who was willing to do the surgery. And I was put in touch with someone at the Leicester Royal Infirmary. I'm so grateful for, obviously, for the NHS for being there in my time of need. He wrote back to me and he said how excited he was to meet me and that he'd be delighted to do my surgery. So I had it. About six months later, I went under the knife. And basically, all I've been left with is a 30 centimetre scar and a little bit of nerve damage in my left jaw. This time marked a watershed moment for me in my life. I realised that like the younger son, I'd squandered the past few years. I'd walked away from God in many of the decisions that I'd made, and the further I'd walked, the further I was away from the Lord. Although I hadn't lost my faith, I felt really far. And now I'd been in physical need, and even though I didn't deserve it, He'd preserved my life when I was at university that day, in the hospital, and then he'd provided a way for me and given me back my life. He'd basically given me a second chance. So I decided it was time to change my life. The long and short is that I moved to Auckland, I did my teacher training, and I walked back into church for the first time in about a decade. I stood at the back and I cried, and I said sorry to God for weeks and months. As the younger son had said in the parable, I basically prayed, Father, I have sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And I repented for all the things that I'd done and for all the things that weren't good for me or right for me. And then I did an alpha-type course, and out of his abounding, I said, God the Father ran to me and was good. It was really good for me. I found a perfect job working with people that I had known Uh, Sorry, working with people that had known colleagues of mine in Hong Kong. How was that even possible? And then I discovered that lots of my colleagues in that new job were Christians. So we got together every week and we prayed for the children, for the staff and for the parents at the school. We saw one of our colleagues come to faith. Then I dated someone who I subsequently stopped dating and saw them come to faith. And there was so, so, so much that was restorative about that time. And I felt the elastic kind of slacken a bit as I came back closer to God and experienced his hesed. God responded to my need, to my physical need, with miracles that I couldn't have imagined. He then put me in a place where I could experience himself in community with others, both in my church and in my workplace. He dressed me in his cloak. He gave me the things that I needed and he made me a child again, just like the father who in verse 22 puts a ring on his, feet, his son's hands and sandals on his feet. Years have passed, and in the main, I do feel like I walk closer with God. I spend more time with Jesus, but I'm still working on that. But there have been times, and there continue to be times, when I make decisions that aren't the best for me, where I try and do things of my own strength, and I wander away from God. And there have been mountain high moments and deep valley lows as well when I've wanted to see healing for myself for things or for people around me uh, for things in the world that have made me really sad. And all of this to say, I do feel like I was a lost daughter, but I'm so thankful to Jesus for staying close to me and for keeping me in his grace and mercy. If you have a piece of elastic close to you, I'd love you to just pick it up And think about God's enduring commitment to us, about his said love. And I'm just going to pray. So if you want to close your eyes or whatever, I'm just going to pray as I finish up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your your enduring commitment love to all of us and to all of creation. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us about where we might be far from you and where you want to draw us closer. We praise you, Lord, for your incredible chesed love, that one-way love that we don't deserve but that you lavish upon us. And as we take communion, remember your sacrifice for us. May we come closer to you again as your children.